0: This show is brought to you by the Makery, the podcast network for makers. Guys, welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm very, I'm very honored. I'm honored to have my friend Bob Rankin here. Bob Rankin is a. I've known Bob for a, quite a while. He's an extraordinary knife maker, and he's an extraordinary uh, steel maker. I, uh, when I started making knives and I started to fool around with Damascus, it wasn't something that I felt comfortable doing, and I reached out to Bob. I think he was on Knife Talk in, back in the day, and uh, we became friends, and then I started to buy uh, by damascus pattern welded steel directly from bob and we've had a good relationship in that i've strictly used bob bob's just a dynamite guy and uh, recently some tragedy that is unspeakable happened Un- unbelievable unfathomable um, bob lost his son um, and uh i told him when i you know we sent this we sent our deepest condolences and i said whenever you wanted to come on I want you to, when you feel comfortable and you're ready to come on, we talk about it, we'll talk about it. And you reached out to me and says, I'm ready to go, let's to go. So I want to welcome uh, my good friend, Bob Rankin. How are you?
1: Well, I, I got to say thank you for having me on, Jeff, um, for helping me get awareness about this issue and um, try to help people. That's, that's our goal, my goal, my family's goal is to try to help other families having to live with this.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, I I mean, like I said, I mean, we've known each other for a while. And you know, when you know someone for a long time and things happen, life happens and and there are these unexpected things. But when I found out that your son had taken his own life, it was, it shocked me to the core. Obviously the the knife community rallied around you. And I just, right off the bat, I just want to tell you how it's so, the, the words don't even come out right, but I can't, express to you enough how deeply sorry i am for you and your family and what you're going through and and how we express and my family and i how we, ex- we want to extend our deepest deepest condolences to you and your family
1: well I, I i truly appreciate that um yourself the whole community has been absolutely amazing and i have a lot of people to thank um later on in the show but um Maybe I should uh, tell you a little bit about my son first.
0: Yeah, please.
1: So my son uh, was 27 years old. He spent eight and a half years in the United States Navy as a Navy nuclear technician. Uh, he was an electronic technician, Navy nuclear, I guess is how is correct. Designation. Spent the last two and a half years at Navy nuclear prototype in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, teaching uh, hands-on training to future soldiers or sailors. Um, before that, he was, uh, his, he was assigned to, uh, the U.S., the Carl Vinson aircraft carrier, where he was a reactor operator and uh, also a leader. Um, when he left the Navy, as a petty officer, uh, first class. So, um, hearing stories from his friends and people that knew him and lived with him and loved him, uh, I always knew he was an amazing man. Seeing how many lives he touched, it was um, it was something else to see.
0: When he was younger, what? Because you didn't serve, did you?
1: No, I did not. Uh, he came along. I was nineteen years old, so I, he, he was a little bit of a surprise.
0: Okay. Okay. Did you well, growing up? What, what? When did he kind of express the interest of of going into the the military?
1: Well, so. <laughs> He was always talking about the Army, right? He was always, always like Army stuff. When he's in high school, he took um, two years of vocational training in welding. And um, in his uh, welding class, the recruiter's brother was in it, and he decided that he wanted to go weld for the Navy. So when he said Navy and not Army, I, I was all about that. So him and I went and talked to a recruiter right away. And uh, he did so well in his ASFAB. The recruiter's like, if you want to... Uh, weld for the Navy, I can get you a job doing that, but I can pretty much offer you any uh, program the Navy has to offer. And so he chose the Navy nuclear program, which is one of the hardest uh, programs in the Navy or any of the armed forces, actually.
0: You'll have to excuse me. I know nothing about uh, <laughs> any of it. What is the ASFAT? What is the ASFAP? Uh
1: That's the uh, the aptitude test that you take okay. to see where your strengths are.
0: Huh. B- did he do a lot of welding in growing up or...? Uh, no, in high
1: I, school? he yeah he took it for two years in high school, so he he had a lot of experience. Half a day, um, for two years in welding class. He that I went through the program for a year before I graduated, so he's seen the value in it and uh, thought he wanted to be weld be a welder, but the Navy took him in a different direction.
0: Now you're, but am I wrong? You're not a steam fitter, or you you don't deal yeah. with.
1: I'm a pipe fitter. You're a pipe fitter. Uh, I, I, I'm a pipe fitter by trade. I hired into the power plant um, eighteen years ago as a welder. Now they call me a boiler maker.
0: Right, right, yeah. So I don't know why I thought he was a steam fitter. I, th- I feel like it's almost the same thing. Kind of, yeah. There's uh, the biggest uh, steam fitter union is in my town. Actually, three mile a mile from my shop, um, and uh, steam fitters are considered like the the interesting thing about the unions and I mean and stuff like that. But it's the steam fitters who are the real welders, and you know the iron workers no longer do that. It's all bolts and stuff. So I would imagine that he just saw you, were you doing a lot of welding at home or?
1: No, you know, bring your kid to work day and stuff like that. He, he knew what I did. Um, Whether it be driving past a plant and say I built that or, you know, things like that growing up.
0: Huh. So you were doing a lot of work on nuclear plants as well or?
1: No, I was in a coal fired power plant. Uh, Now I'm in a natural gas fired power plant. Before that, I worked for a small company. We'd go into LPG, you know, propane plants and salt plants and asphalt plants and stuff like that.
0: Wow. And what were you doing? What were you doing for that? For that,
1: uh, Pipe fitter, um, high-pressure industrial piping and stuff like that.
0: Sheesh. So it's like, you know, you'd be rated and it's like real welding, learning how to, you know, being certified in different ways and stuff like that, right? Yeah,
1: like the, the gas plants and stuff, you know, the, a lot of x-ray welds and stuff like that.
0: Sheesh. That's, that's, I mean, the pressure of that, I mean, no, no, I mean, no, I don't mean to make a joke, but the pressure of that, because it's like, you know, so much, so much is on the line for something like that. I would imagine that, you know, Bobby got to kind of at home when you were coming home at night, he was kind of hearing you talk about it and how to probably had a little bit of an affinity for it just being by being with you.
1: Yeah, I think so. And then the, like the x-rays and stuff, after you do a few, you know how to do it. It's not as intimidating anymore. It's just like anything else.
0: So he gets, he, he, what, when you said, you said you were in for the Navy as opposed to the, I mean, I know you're in Michigan, so you're kind of landlocked. What was it about the Navy that you like better than the Army?
1: Well, as ironic as it is, is safety.
0: Huh.
1: You know? Figured, really? Yeah, I figured aircraft carrier or something, that's one of the safest places to be. Huh.
0: Yeah, I guess I, I guess I, I just never even thought about it. Thought about that, but my uh, my father was in the Air Force, and then his brother was in the Army, and then my uncle, who was in uh, my other uncle, was in the Marines, and the there was only one time where there was a real six months of me going into the military, and it was during. I think I'm a little older than you, but it was Gulf War One, and I'll never forget being in a class full of kids who were saying, "I you know." don't worry, we're going to kill him, we're going to kill him, we're going to kill him. And and, and then the conversation came up to the idea of uh, if you would leave the country or serve. And my teacher was a Vietnam, uh, he had served in Vietnam and we were talking about it. And I was the only one to say that, I well, I would rather serve. And my father told me that it's better to, to enlist than it is to be drafted. And then there was this long conversation and I was going to go to the the Marine recruiter in I guess this was 1995 versus 1995 no 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 1982 1992 and uh he refused he wouldn't let me he wouldn't he wouldn't let me wouldn't let me go but I um I wonder I've always wondered what his what people's motivations are to join the military mine was for family reasons I mean I so many people in my family had served and I thought you know Serving your country is one of the greatest things. You know, my grandfather served, I mean, my father served in World War II. My uncle served in Vietnam. They served to protect our country and, you know, the freedoms that come with it. And I always wonder what his motivation was, people's motivation, personal motivations What do you think his motivation was
1: for joining the Navy? We've always had a deep respect for the military and service members in the house. Um, He was always one to thank people for their service. Uh, so I, I, imagine he always seen the respect that I gave the military, right? Uh, service members, and um, you know it, it was a fast way to get out of the house when he was eighteen, you know, and start on his own adventure in life.
2: Hmm.
0: So he he wasn't thinking about going to college or anything like that.
1: No, I, and I think that um, I, I think that that's why kids like him were so desirable that were smart enough to go to college, but weren't. Hmm. Going to you know I don't yeah. think that was really something that he wanted to do.
0: So he was fast tracked into the the nuclear. Yeah. What, what was the what was the
1: area? He's electronic technician in the nuclear. So he was so, a ET one, which is basically he worked on instrumentation and ran the nuclear reactor on the Carl Vinson.
0: What's the Carl Vinson?
1: Uh, it's one of our aircraft carriers. So.
0: How long do you, do you, do you remember him talking about basic training or what that was like?
1: (laughs) Well, his, his, everything started rough for him. Like even for him, he had to go down to, I think it's Troy here and get get his physical and do his real ASFAB. Well, he ate bad tacos the night before and was sick and was so dehydrated. He had to go back to get blood work drawn afterwards, but he still did. He got like a 95 or something like that on his ASFAB, if I remember correctly, which is bad
0: tacos. Oof. yeah,
1: Yeah. Which is, you know, so he did really good on that still. He went to MEPS in uh, Chicago, what, North of Great Lakes, just north of Chicago. And two weeks from graduation, he got appendicitis. Whoa. So uh, we drove over there to see him in the hospital, and he spent quite a bit of time recovering to finish basic training. But, you know, the whole time he was recovering is just like basic You're still in basic training, you know, so it wasn't like a relaxing type deal. It, uh,
0: did he, would he, was he, would he giving you ideas? Of, Cause I mean, you, you didn't serve. So, I mean, if I, as a, as a father, I would be like, well, what was it like? And well, did you have to wake up in a certain time? And do you have to do, what was he, did he kind of portray what basic training was like?
1: No, he didn't. He he didn't like to talk about himself much. He would just kind of like, hey, it was all right. You know, no big deal type of stuff. He just, just the way he was just kind of downplay everything like that, you know? Huh.
0: And once you finish basic training, then where, where was he off to?
1: After basic training, he went to Charleston, well, Goose Creek, uh, South Carolina, for first for A school, which was electronic technician, learning your trade, and then uh, Navy nuclear school, and we were able to go down for the graduation of that, and during uh, the graduation, they had uh, an admiral there, or admiral or captain, anyway, he was a uh, Navy pilot, and he wanted to be a captain of a carrier, so he had to take Navy to nuclear school. And he said he was more intimidated by taking that than he was landing on a carrier in the middle of the night, you know?
0: That's what the captain said.
1: Yeah. It's such a difficult course. It's just, it's very hard, very, very, uh, demanding, a lot of hours in the classroom because you can't take the material out, you know, and, um.
0: Wait, what you he's working in the, to, the classroom is working in a
1: reactor? No, no. That this is like the oh, um, oh, the classroom oh, oh. part of it. The, the nuclear mind, school. Like,
0: in my mind, I'm thinking everyone's standing around in like bubble suits, and they're you know sitting in a classroom <laughs> in bubble suits.
1: No, no. This is just the the book part of it, right? For six months or something like that. So it, that's oh, so very classified. And and so yeah, it is classified. So the material has to stay in the room. So you have your class time, your mandatory study time, and then quote unquote suggested study time. Where if you're not doing well, they tell you how long you're going to be there till you learn it. So it could be up to sixteen hours a day. Um, so th- a- after he graduated, that then he goes on to uh, prototype what they call it. So on base in the river, they have two boomer subs where they cut the tubes out of them, shorten them up, and permanently moor them, and then have water breaks on the shafts so that uh, uh, they actually run the reactors there and learn wait, how to run hands on.
0: What do you? I don't understand. So they would have like a submarine.
1: Yep. Yeah. A boomer sub, one of the bigger subs, and they cut the missile tubes out of them and shorten them up, and then okay. permanently moor them with the a okay, water so break. Okay, so it's like
0: a, so you can f- kind of like pr- not pr- you can practice.
1: Yep, yep. Actually, run the reactors. That that's not they're they're for real. Running the reactors.
0: Huh? Did he? Did he? So the first thing before he went to nuclear school, you learned elect you know electrical stuff and uh, how uh,
1: yeah like instrumentation, electronic technician. yeah.
0: What do you think the difference was between? The electronics to the nuclear.
1: I, I think that um, learning electronics is learning your trade, and then then you're learning how to run a nuclear reactor on top of that. So, so once can, he
0: was finished, he was actually in charge of the reactors themselves.
1: No, it just says um, like as he once he got to his boat. Then, as you grow up in rank, you start taking on more responsibilities.
0: Huh. Did he ever go on a submarine?
1: I don't think he ever went on a submarine, no. Nope. We he, when um after his first deployment, I, I flew to Hawaii to meet him there with his boat and he had some buddies that he was in nuclear school with that were on subs in Hawaii. But um I went on a tiger cruise with them. What's that? Where? Uh well there's five hundred of us. They flew five hundred sailors home early and we got to take the wrecks, and we we were able to take the aircraft carrier from Pearl Harbor back to San Diego. So we were on board for five or six days, something like that.
0: What was that like?
1: Oh, that was amazing. I didn't get to see him a lot because a lot of people went home from his department. Um, so he was busy working. But they did, you know, tours and um, air shows and uh, stuff like that, drag well, race. Uh,
0: but for five store. days, you're. I mean, it's not like a cruise line. Like, no, it's definitely
1: not a cruise. It's not like you, a,
0: a Pools and, you know, karaoke
1: what were it's you a, doing it, for five days I blow i, I had to uh, pull my hair out well like i said there's a lot to see um a lot of people to talk to wandering around anywhere you couldn't go they had people posted so you, you couldn't go where you weren't supposed to but like i said then they did they did uh, neat stuff like they did you go up on the flight deck deck and they did a uh air show for us you know with wow. dropping live bombs and supersonic flybys and stuff like that and then they shot all the whiz and stuff off the carrier, and the destroyer pulled up next to us and shot its guns. So there's all kinds of stuff like that that they did.
0: What's it like being on an aircraft carrier when the airplanes are taking on and coming in?
1: Uh, you can feel it. You can, uh, If you're laying in your rack there at night, you can feel them land. You can feel them take off. It's, it's pretty amazing. Were
0: the beds comfortable? I'm asking you crazy questions, but these are the no. questions I kind of uh, want to
1: know. Were the beds, what were the beds uh, like? I didn't think they were too bad. I was just—I would have been in big trouble if I had to get on a top one because they're three tall, you know. So he made sure to get me on a bottom one that was for a tall person too. So,
0: and I'm sure they told you you can't bring up you can't bring ten suitcases with you,
1: right? No, you can bring up one one bag with you. And it, it was a—it uh, was a very interesting experience because you know before we left, because um, we got to drive around Hawaii, you know, and, and uh, went to—we didn't go out. to to the Memorial at Pearl Harbor, but we've got to go there because the aircraft carrier actually moors right next to the Arizona. So when we went on the Missouri tour and stuff, so we got to spend some good time in uh, Hawaii together too.
0: Now, as someone who's never been in the military, I mean, how are you taking this in? Like your son is becoming a huge part of this, this, I mean, an important part of the military and you're seeing all these things and you're going on aircraft carriers. I mean, how is it making you feel?
1: Oh, I, 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 um, regardless of what he had done in life, I'd have been proud of him. he know, amazing, but it's still
0: pretty pretty cool that your son is bringing you into this new world of you know, yeah, he's
1: involved yeah yeah he's he I, I couldn't have been more proud of him you know he he uh always amazed me and um it just that was one of having adult children that was one of my favorite things you know it's one thing to have everybody loves their kids right right raising adults of people that I like and want to spend time with and that even if they weren't my kids I would enjoy that was one of the proudest things in my life
0: i don't i can i know i can i mean i imagine because I mean <laughs> I'm imagining it because you know you raise your your son and uh, I'm right now i'm about my we're about to take my daughter to college and you're you're putting him in this position of being on their own, and then you're, you're you get to witness the world that they're involved in that they're creating, and that's incredibly exhilarating because it's just like this person's done is doing well, and they're it, creating this world, and they're allowing me to look in on it.
1: And, and you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to see as much of it as we, we would have liked um, during COVID and stuff. He was up in Washington, and the ship was in dry dock, and he was super busy, so we didn't get to see him in, while he was in Washington. Um, so we, there were, you know, it hadn't been in for eight and a half years. We just got little glimpses every once in a while. And every time there was a milestone, like uh, when he came back, um, to this side of the Rockies, it was like, at least he's on this side of the Rockies, you know? And
0: Um, yeah, I gotta a- go, I gotta go back to the Tiger boat, Bob. You gotta bring back the Tiger boat. Okay. I got a few more questions. Okay. Were you showering with, uh, were Were there parents and soldiers Ming intermingled, or were the parents separated oh, yeah. from? So you're in your bunk, and then there you're, you're, you know, you got you know other people in the boat who work on the boat, and they're dealing with the snoring and the nonsense. They got to be on their best behavior for the parents, right?
1: Pretty much, Ugh. pretty much.
0: And then and you're showering with them all, and then you're eating with them all.
1: Yep. And, and there was like 500 of us, so.
0: And they're on their best behavior. They're all on their best behavior because they know.
1: Oh, you know, anytime I met anybody. Was a, um, one of his coworkers or sailors? You know, everybody was amazing. Everybody was um, such smart, driven individuals. You know, to talk to.
0: I can imagine being on a. I mean, you know, you know, that's such a. I would think that every position on that boat, especially five hundred of them, are not there. Like, right? I mean, right. five hundred of the soldiers are are not on. That that all of a sudden the, the 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 so the sailors who are on that boat probably have a little bit more work to do because oh yeah you for know all sure. their coworkers are gone
1: and then and then you know he did a lot of things for me that he didn't really want to do like um, when they pulled into port in San Diego they I don't know if you have ever seen where they man the rails where they're no. all in their dress whites okay and, and they line the whole perimeter of that flight deck right he could have got out of that because he could have had to power the ship you know. But he did it so that I could stand up on the flight deck with him and watch the tall ship with the American flags and the jet skis and formation that follow the boat in and um, see him up there in his dress white standing shoulder to shoulder with other sailors. That's an amazing sight.
0: I, be, I can't even imagine. What, when he was on that boat, what was his job? Like I, I guess I, I still, I mean, I'm you, got, you have to understand, I'm not a very smart person. So I, I don't actually know what the, his what his day-to-day job was on that boat.
1: Well, basically, um, his job was to uh, run and supervise, toward, towards the end of his deployments, to run and supervise uh, the nuclear reactor. Because there's two reactors on the uh, aircraft carrier. So he, he was on one, like in charge of one unit or running it. I'm not exactly sure because he didn't talk about right. you know, everything, but basically um, in charge of electronics and uh, actually the power plant operator.
0: So they're kind of communicating with the captain in regards to what kind of powers needed to be generated. I'm, p- pardon me once again. So he's got our important, it's uh, incredibly, incredibly important part of the operation of this vessel yes. to run the power plant. And he's in, I mean, in regards to his position in that, what do you think his rank was compared to the rest of them? I mean, I mean if there's like 25 guys, is he in the top three or
1: you know i'm not exactly sure like but i know that he was a, a petty officer first class when he left the navy um hmm. which the next step would be chief okay so you know he he is up there a little ways wow
0: and it was probably a lot of sleepless nights and probably calls if something needed to happen and he was almost like the sous chef yeah where and he has they they'd go in all they have the all time. kinds of
1: strange – I never really got to understand, like, their schedule because they'd stand watch, and then they'd have to do maintenance and everything. So it sounded like they worked a lot.
0: Yeah. It sounded like they worked a lot. I mean, I would, ima- I would imagine. Like I said, I'm just speculating. I have completely no idea. Yeah. Um, how was the food? I'm sorry for keeping asking these questions. Oh, it's okay. I'm no, um, how was the food? I don't get to
1: speak to people who are on aircraft carriers. How no, was no, the food? Uh, if you like dry chicken, that's for you.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Well, that's like, I mean, you know what, that sounds like less better than 60% of the places you get now in the United States anyway. So <laughs> not a huge surprise. So tell me about during, so he's already established himself. Was he on that same aircraft carrier for a long time or did he kind of move around?
1: Uh, yeah, it must've been four or five years. Cause, um, he did two deployments. I think one was a West pack, they call it and a rim pack. So, um, on one of his deployments, uh, they were the first uh, warship in Vietnam. So he got to go into Vietnam since the war. Huh. Um, wow. So, yeah. So he got to go to Vietnam, Singapore, um, a couple other places. And they were off the coast of Australia when Trump took office and uh, North Korea started acting up. So they didn't, they end up canceling their port it, for Australia, which everybody was looking forward to and spent like 90 days underway with no port off the coast of North Korea.
0: That was the time, all oh, right. When there was like, there was like they were, you know, yelling at each other, and then everyone was yeah. on high alert. Oh boy, they
1: thought. That, yeah, I think at one point they thought that they were going to end up uh, sending jets into Korea.
0: You must have been terrified at that time. You know, he he never really
1: talked about that. He just yeah, but talked. you knew where he was. I didn't know where he was because oh, they you were, they were, no no I just knew that he was out on a deployment. They couldn't. know they, they were ninety days underway with no port where they. Like they couldn't even email for a lot of it or anything like that.
0: Wow. So in your mind, you, he could have been in San Diego still.
1: No, I know that he was out in the Pacific somewhere. I just didn't know where, wow. you know, and by this time he'd been in for uh, two and a half years already. So we were kind of used to not talking to him a lot and stuff.
0: When he came back was when he came back to, for a holiday, I don't know how they do it, the holidays or they come back for when they come back, when he's got a time to come back for the family would he tell you stories or would he kind of update you or?
1: No, he'd he'd have to drag everything out of him. He didn't talk about it a lot. He just, Hmm. you know, he he just kind of blow it off like no big deal or, you know, and, um, uh, his first holiday home afterwards, he surprised us on Thanksgiving. He showed up for Thanksgiving dinner unannounced. So that was kind of neat.
0: That's super cool. That's like, that's like hallmark commercial things to do (laughs) you grow up and growing up and watching those videos and then the the sun shows up in his dress whites and that must have been awesome very thoughtful of him
1: to do that well thanksgiving was blues because it's winter his dress blues Ah. oh is it a season is it seasonal yeah there's dress blues and dress whites
0: when's the dress whites summer i had no idea I had no idea that it was a, these were seasonal. I think outfits. so. I mean, I, to my Let's best my knowledge, it. you know. Let's go with it. Yeah. I, now it makes me even like you know they you know, you know don't wear white after a Labor Day. I got you. I got you. A hundred percent. No, no, makes it makes a lot of sense. But I I I, I would think I would have thought that that would have been quite a, I would have been quite amazing. You wake up one morning and then your son just shows up.
1: Yeah. It. it uh, we always looked forward to seeing him, especially with having him so far away for so long. Right. How long
0: Coast. was the deployment?
1: Um, I think that it was like three months, four Jeez. months, something like that. And he had a couple of those. He had some shorter ones Then when his, he was in Bremerton during, um, COVID. So his ship was in dry dock and, uh, he was super busy cause they were doing basically switching controls from analog to digital, which was in his, right in his department. So he did a lot of that. And if I remember correctly, he was the first one to fire his reactor up after that.
0: Wow. So they, it's just out of curiosity, on a deployment, do you get days off when you're on a boat for three months?
1: You like, know, that I'm not sure of. Um, I'm not exactly sure how they, they do their, their shift. Like I said, I was so confused. See, he would, he would talk, but he'd use all the... Um, lingo. Yeah, and I would be so confused by the, the end of it, you know. Wow,
0: <laughs> ah, look—he's found his world. Like this yeah. is this is his world, but he's still like giving you a slight, you know, view yeah. through the porthole, which is kind of.
1: And you know, nukes are a little different. That's what they call themselves nukes, because you know there's electronic technicians, um, machinist mates, and electrical mates are the three trades that were were offered to him. So he's an electronic technician, but he had friends that. Or machinist mates and electrical mates and stuff like that.
0: So, when he transfers over to the East Coast, does that mean he went to a different boat?
1: Uh, Well, he went to when he when he came back to the East Coast, he was going back for his shore duty, which was um, to teach uh, nuclear prototype. And so, when he uh, was going for his, his shore duty, he came home for a little while first. So, I flew out to San Diego. And we packed up everything that he could fit into his Dodge Challenger and road trip down Route 66 back home to Michigan.
0: How was that trip?
1: That was um, a trip that I am extraordinarily grateful that I got to do with him. I bet. I bet. How, we, long, uh, how long did it take? I think we took five or six days, you know, because we went to um, Zion National Park, which is absolutely Utah, amazing. right? Yeah. I mean, yep. that part of the country is, is the like a different planet. Yeah, yeah right. and then the and then we were going to go to the um, Grand Canyon, but uh, we went to the wrong gate and it was closed because it was in I think January or something like that. Right. And it was like six hours to the next one, and so we just he we didn't do that. Instead, we went to um, Petrified National Forest, and you know we, we drove through all the southern states there and southwestern states, and that was just um, having that time with him is something I'm extraordinarily grateful for.
0: In a I I can't. I mean, it's like the American dream, right? Route sixty six yeah. and a Dodge Challenger with your son, who's a sailor. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, that's like out of a, that's like a, that's like a movie.
1: Yeah, it was um, something I'll never forget, and something I'm I'm so extraordinarily grateful I have that memory with him.
0: I- I can I can only imagine. I'm sure it's very difficult to bring it up, and I'm sorry if I'm. Oh no, it's a. It's, let me know if I if I've gone no, overboard. Please, please. No, to I just need to
1: shut up. That, actually, that's uh, I love talking about. It. I love remembering it. That's, um, and I was able to uh, figure out how to buy his car too. So we're keeping that.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome. The Dodge Challenger was must have been. Was did he buy it? He bought it out in California. Or?
1: Uh, he. I think he leased that before he left, um, Charleston huh. to go out to his boat. Yeah.
0: Oh, so from Charleston. So he drove it across country.
1: Yeah. I'm, you know, I can't remember if he'd had, I, he must've, I mean, he must've got that in California or he, I can't remember what exactly where he was when he got that. If you don't mind
0: me asking about the, the trip, tell me more about Route 66. I mean, that's such a classic I mean, American, you know, well, we there were songs of, about it.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't exactly the Route 6. It was the, the expressway that goes along. Okay. It. and There would be, like, signs about it and stuff and reminders about it. And it was just, that that was a lot of fun, just going through that part of the country. I'd never been through that part of the country, and I honestly can't wait to go back one of these days and just having just that time with just him and I, you know, and all that time to talk. And um, just, that was a lot of fun. I <laughs> it, it was a great time.
0: And you just get hotels along the way, find a hotel or?
1: Yeah, that's how we would do it. Um, whoever is driving uh, would drive and the co-pilot would find the hotel for the day. And and then, uh, so I, I think it's in Missouri where the Bass Pro Pyramid is. He, he was excited when he picked that one out. We had a, uh, that was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, Bass Pro Shops.
1: Yeah, they have that pyramid in the, the oh, hotel. Yeah. That's, and you cool. kinda... that's like a crazy pyramid, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're, so you're inside this building this pyramid in the, in the hotel room. You look out your little balcony there, and you're looking down on the store. It was kind of, it was really neat. Did you guys fish at all, or no?
0: <laughs> we did all not. right, I, I, Michigan. I'm thinking a slam dunk. I figured you guys. Oh, are like I, yeah. While we I you know,
1: yeah, when they were little, we'd go fishing and stuff. And my grand, I while I walleye fished a lot when they were young. My grandparents had a house on the river, but yeah, they we'd go fishing and stuff when they were young, but haven't in years.
0: So you, you, how long was the, 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 the roof 66? That was five days and you went five from or Cali- six days. You went yep. California to Virginia?
1: No, we went from San Diego back to Michigan here, back to our okay, house. And he, and he spent like a month with us here.
0: Oh, that must've been nice.
1: Yeah. It was, uh, at that time it was amazing to have him home. It, like I said, we had gone through all that COVID nonsense and not been able to see him and stuff. So it was great to see him just to play family games and hang out and, um, everybody we're all kind of snarky. We all kind of love to laugh, and yeah, um, it was a lot of fun. Well, that
0: that being able to drive across country with him after the pandemic must have been nice too, because you all of a sudden you're cooped up for so long. Well,
1: this is kind of during the pandemic. I mean, like the plane was empty, and you know, it was like right towards the end of the pandemic there.
0: But, it, like, the idea of, like, having all these years of being cooped up and then yeah. you, you get on a plane and you fly out to California and then you go from seeing nobody to being with your son and, like, seeing the whole country. That's yeah. kind of, like, I mean, that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it was it was a great time. And it was um once-in-a-lifetime trip. And I got to do a lot of things with him that uh, I would have never done otherwise. Like what? Like, driving down route 66 or I really had no interest in going to Hawaii,
0: you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you COVID's over, he comes home for a month and then where does he go after that?
1: Then he goes down to Charleston, South Carolina to teach, to teach. Yeah. And do you like it? Do you like teaching? I think he liked teaching. I think at that point, um, the demands of the Navy, I think that, uh, there might be a problem in that command where some of the leadership, like, isn't that good where they demand, I think one of his, uh, sailor friends told me, you know, like they had this chief or something that would, you know, like the perfection is expected and excellence will be accepted on a case by case basis, hmm. but then goes and gets himself fired because he doesn't do the job correctly himself. Isn't that the always the way it is? I mean, it's yeah.
0: like, that's like what irony was like built upon is like people doing stupid things. I mean,
1: yeah. And, and so, um, I didn't understand that. I didn't, I didn't know that. I know that there's a lot of times where he's discouraged with people not doing their jobs correctly and stuff like that. Um, but I, I, didn't realize like his, his division or whatever, the, the nukes there that they have a, they actually have a higher suicide rate than, um, the average citizen, you know, the average rate. um, And that's one of the things I didn't know, and everybody thinks that you have to go to combat to feel that way. And I guess that knowing what I know now, that that's not the case, that um, all of our veterans need help. All of our veterans need to be, it can happen to anybody.
0: I I actually had uh, Joe Maynard on uh, a couple years ago. Joe Maynard is a awesome, awesome guy. He's a knife maker. He has this company called Primitive Grind. And he was a Black Hawk helicopter pilot. And he told, in if you listen to the episode, I mean, he's telling these crazy stories. And the um, he's a pilot and he's they're doing all these incredible missions and they're doing, you know, there's so much, he's got so much uh, responsibility. And he's talking about it and he's, when he came back and he retired and he was suicidal. And he, he, found some sort of, and there was like a, he just, he, I don't know what happened, but basically he just devoted himself to veterans affairs and he really got a lot of uh, veterans who were really you kind know, of having mental health issues and really needing something to cope with or something other than, you know, traditional and he was helping them forge, and he was getting involved. I know that he did something with uh, Josh Smith over at uh, Montana Knife Company. They would have veterans come and they would forge knives and stuff like that. And there were these really positive things. I was thinking about my conversation with him and other people who really kind of deal with mental health issues, and I, I had a qu I had a thought, and I just see what you think. And if you if you know you think I'm off base, think it seems as though these guys and gals are put in this position of incredible responsibility and to the point where it almost becomes their identity. You know, serving and being being in a position of asking you know, needing perfection and the and failure is, you know, lot, you know, lack of lives or the or or people could get hurt or things could go wrong or the the, the stakes are so high. And you get comfortable with this position of of the importance of it, of the gravity of it all. When Joe was flying around these helicopters, he had, he was flying around these million-dollar pieces of equipment with people in the back. You know, people's lives are on the line, and you have this incredible position of power. And then maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but when you leave it all, when you leave all these positions of incredible responsibility, you possibly lose part of your identity.
1: I, I definitely think that, and I, I definitely think the Navy also Um, programs you that you need the Navy, and then um, once you're done, they're done with you. You know, and I think
0: it's incredibly
1: cruel. Yeah, it is. It's incredibly cruel, and that's what I I told the recruiter because I ended up at the recruiter's office at one point, uh, obviously upset and stuff. And um, I told him, I said, "You order, give these people orders every day." I said, I don't understand why you don't order them to tell the Navy who they're going home to and help prepare us to help our veterans. You know?
0: Well, what did the recruiter say when you said that?
1: He took notes, but you know how that stuff works. I mean. The kid. It's nothing. Well, I, 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 he was a good man. He was upset. Um, Yeah. It was emotional, you know, and, uh. Think that it's the bureaucracy of all this stuff—it's—it's it's no different than if somebody—I I, didn't—I didn't realize the first thing that happens when you call the VA is that there's a recording that if you're uh, having suicidal thoughts to seek help or whatever the message is. And I'm thinking to myself, if this is that big of a problem, why don't they have real people answer the phones so that maybe, just maybe, they could help one person.
0: Well, actually, there's, there's uh, I, wanna, I was going to talk about it towards the end. There's this new program, this national program. It's called, uh, it's, it's, if you dial 988, and this is the United States, uh, if you dial 988, it's very similar to 911. Uh, it's a suicide and crisis lifeline. And no, one, it's not like 911. 9- Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Uh, the idea was 988 was to reduce the reliance on, of law enforcement for mental health issues or whatever, crisis or suicide or crisis. But the thing is, is they're trying to, they're having a hard time. It's kind of about a year ago. And they're having a hard time because people think, you know, I call this up and then the police show up. And that's not the case. And they actually, if you call 988, 988, it's, a, it's basically free counseling. And uh, they encourage you, even if you're not in, you're getting close to crisis, to call them up. But the problem is, is people are nervous that they're going to, you know, guys going to show up with like a butterfly net or something like that. So there's this terrible stigma of, there's a terrible stigma of mental health and there's a terrible stigma of of uh, when people get in a crisis. But I was thinking about your son, thinking about Bobby, I've been thinking about Bobby for a long time and, and um, thinking about the idea that there were, there were no, I heard you were on uh work for a podcast with Brian Cohn and, and um, let's just, we'll get back to it. So okay. w- just out of curiosity, what made him want to teach? Oh, he was wanted he was, Oh, he wanted to, or he was,
1: they no, wanted that, him to. That was a shore duty that he was offered. So after so many deployments and stuff, however, it works so much, so much time you get a shore duty where you spend time, um, not out to sea, not on a boat. So that's what the shore duty for him was, was, uh, teaching a uh, nuclear prototype.
0: And he must've been at a certain level that they thought he was competent enough to do it.
1: Yeah. There's a couple different things that they can do. Sometimes some people get recruiters and then there's other, there's other jobs, but yeah, he, um, talking with, uh, some of his, his bosses and coworkers, uh, it was described to me that his division is the top 1% of the top 1%. Wow. And from everybody that I that sent, cause I asked uh, for letters and stories of him from people, you know, to, just to, so I, I got a book of stories for the people sent me and he was the best of them. He was the smartest. He always had the answers when somebody needed an answer, they went to him.
0: Hmm. That must've, I mean, so what made him decide to
1: retire? He was just ready, uh, he he thought he was ready to get out of the Navy and move on with his life. He had um, a great job lined up at a steel factory, you know, um, when I spoke with them, because I had to tell them what happened and that he wasn't going to be able to start, obviously. And uh, they were, you know, obviously disappointed and he was the best applicant they ever had. So, um, I don't know. So, he retires? Well, and then, I, he gets it. You just uh, part ways with the navy. You, he, I think you can retire at twenty, so he only had eight and a half years, and so he didn't retire. He just. Um,
0: oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I I don't know the correct terminology. Yeah, yeah. I guess so, retire is correct. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, what do I know? A quit. I mean, if <laughs> it's either <laughs> retire, or quit, or get fired. I mean, he got, I, he got I don't his. Know. He got his honorable discharge. I'm a simple discharge. guy, Bob. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know all the terminology either. I'm doing well, the best he, I can.
1: I think it's your DD-214 as a paperwork, and it tells you the type of discharge you have. So he he got his honor, honorable discharge.
0: Do you think it was just too much for him, or do you think maybe I can do something else? Because, I mean, you know, that, making a big life, I mean, he was in the Navy for eight years? Eight and a half years, yes. That's, that's a big decision to decide, I'm done with this.
1: I talked with one of his friends, Luke, and um, he, he seemed like he was ready right he, he was happy making plans with his friends and family and uh, had had plans for his future
0: huh. so he applies so he he parts ways and then he comes home yeah and he had the job lined up by the time he got home or
1: uh yeah he he had gone to the interview and stuff uh, while he was home he was only home for about three weeks uh, he got out because he, cause he, he Called it. They call it terminal or whatever. Basically, where he's using his vacation time, where he's still in the Navy but was able to come home, right. And uh, so he had this job lined up. He was just waiting for the background check to come through and stuff. And uh, you know, he had a couple jobs he's looking at and interviewing and stuff like that while he was home.
0: And I would imagine that, like, he as a as a candidate for any you know he- heavy duty job. I mean, it's like he'd probably be an awesome candidate for anywhere he applied
1: yeah and you know we're hoping that if he didn't like that that maybe he could get into my company because we have a uh nuclear power plant in our fleet and uh it just uh, he seemed happy he seemed like he had plans and the such a bright future
0: so i mean if you don't mind me asking what happened
1: we, we have no idea um like I said, he was uh helping out around the house mowing lawn and stuff like that, just trying to be a part of the family. We we're playing family games and all that stuff. And he was only home for about three weeks and uh so uh I think it was May twenty-third he posted his Facebook post about getting his DD two fourteen and being happy and excited about his future and so a week before Blade Show, uh May twenty-fifth, uh My daughter left to go visit a friend uh, out of town that morning, and um, I was getting ready for Blade Show. I was going to have my table for the first time, and I was out in the garage, and I came in, and we were talking in the afternoon, and, you know, he uh, said, I'm going to the store. Do you want anything? So he went and bought himself groceries. Later that afternoon, I came in from the shop, took a shower, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock, whatever it was, and come down to the kitchen and, uh, he was in the kitchen with my wife laughing and joking and smiling. And he was joking and texting with his sister and, you know, the banter and, uh, the, my, my daughter, she's 22 years old. So she's an adult also. And, um, so we decided we're going to bed. So I had a, you know, I was, had a busy day planned the next day out in the shop and an hour later he was gone. so sorry yeah I mean (sighs) but we do you know we have uh, absolutely zero idea it was like um, he went down to bed and he woke up a different person I think I tell the story this is the best way I can tell it is that if I had to go back and relive that day a hundred times and I had to bet on what happened happening or aliens landed on my front yard, I would, I would bet on aliens every single time. Yeah. There was absolutely zero, zero warning signs, zero indication.
0: I was, this morning I was kind of looking at, you know, you know, the, the statistics of suicides from veterans is, it's like 20 a day. It's like 20 a day and it's climbing, it's climbing. And I was looking into it. I might be wrong too. This might've been an old statistic anyway, and I was looking at like what are some of the warning signs? And they're, you know, basically the this website was saying, well, you know, the warning signs could be insomnia. Like, well, I mean who doesn't sleep well? I mean, it's like there's some of these warning signs are just, you know, it's not mental health isn't just like you can pinpoint a problem, you know, especially on your own. Like I there are days where you don't know, feel feel blue, but that that doesn't necessarily mean that there's this like, you know. Right. There's and like some major
1: health crisis. He, he just, he seemed normal. He seemed like himself, you know, and like I say, he went grocery shopping. So he had plans for the next day. Right. So I, that's the confusing part to us, you know, that, uh, and it's just such a waste. It's just so tragic. He's just, had so much to offer the world and the world is uh, worse off without him.
0: Ugh. It. Sue, so I, I, you know, I... I <laughs> Suicide in my family is very, is very real. And um, years ago, uh, when my daughter was born, I got a call from uh, a police department in Wisconsin. And they called me to tell me that my father-in-law had killed himself. And the reason why they called me is because the family out there didn't want to call my wife. They wanted the sheriff to call me and for me to tell the news to my wife and it was it was years of you know alcoholism and whatever mental health things and um and then a few months later his brother did the same thing and it's just you know with the two of them i mean there was mental health things that we could kind of trace and it wasn't the biggest surprise there was it was hard obviously you know telling your wife that your you know your her father's gone and and we cleared his house out we cleared his 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 van and everything like that and it was like I mean the emotional quality of like why did you do this why did you do this but the fact remains is like you kind of the in in this situation the writing was on the wall but the it must be for you with no warning signs of nothing out of the ordinary like you said it was you would have expected the the aliens that come down before, your, before the, your son would do something like this. I just, I cannot not say anything other than I'm so sorry.
1: Well, I mean, there's there's really nothing to say about it. That's that's the thing is that there are no words. You can't put it into words, you know, and that was the thing is that my daughter was out of town. So that was the first thing on my mind is that we have to get to her. You know, we had to be, we had to get to her. To, we couldn't let social media or somebody else or... Right. Call her, you know, that's not something you can do. So we had to get to her before we, it was just, it was a um, very difficult time just trying to, it was a rough, really rough couple weeks at the oh. very beginning there and stuff getting to her. But, but you, we had able, a,
0: you had good friends behind you though.
1: Oh, we did have some good friends and we were able to get to her before uh, and tell her, which, you know, was horrible. I mean, horrible. it was awful. Uh, they, they were super close. They were five years apart. Uh, he was her hero. Uh he she would go visit him. She went to San Diego to see him and down to Charleston to see him a couple times and stuff. So
0: Older and brother. stay with him.
1: Yeah, that was a Older her, brother's a her. hero. Well he's my hero too. So, yeah. You know. But um bet. Uh, yeah. But no, I uh, yeah, we this community, this of makers, um I I always appreciated that the community. I always enjoyed the friendship and camaraderie and the closeness and all that stuff. But I I had really no idea of the love and just the, the true brotherhood and sisterhood of it all. So uh, I'd mentioned that I was supposed to be going to when I have a table for the first time. And, um, I was able to, um, uh, give my stuff to Brian from Rocco Handmade, which is, uh, such a great friend of mine. And, um, Nico Nicolades and, uh, Eric Hemmicker and Chad Kimmel. Uh, and then, uh, Lucas from Grizzly Forge. They ran my table for me and other people too. You know, I, 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 they set up my table and ran my table for me down at Blade Show. So I didn't have to cancel it.
0: Those are good dudes. I know all the, that, that, your whole Michigan crew is a solid bunch.
1: Oh, it is. Um, and we just keep getting tighter, you know, it, uh. We like to call ourselves Bill's boys after Bill Binky, you know, because he's such a great guy. You were just down there, weren't you? Didn't you see Bill? Just not too. Yeah, we went over to um, 51 Bravo's Hammer, and he did an amazing job. What a a great event over in uh, over there, and so we rode over together, the the four of us—myself, Rocco, Eric, and Nico—and we met up with a bunch of our other uh, Michigan friends there, and we just had it. It was really nice to see everybody.
0: I broke Sean's balls about, uh, (laughs) Sean, Sean, is it Mullen Camp?
1: I'm not exactly sure. All right.
0: 51 Bravo. Sean's the man. Sean's the man. Sean, I, for some reason, I love Sean only because I just feel like I got his number to a certain degree. Like (laughs) I remember when I had on the guys from, uh, Broadbeck Ironworks on and, uh, he wrote into something like, you he said something, you don't even mention my name and my, my, mention my name. And then and then, I, and then he said to me, I can't believe they didn't even mention my name. And I knew who he was. And I wrote, who are you again? And he was like, I'm Sean. I'm 51 Bravo. And I'm like, I know all about it. And then he said he had an event coming up. And he was wondering if we could po- you know, post about it on, on Facebook. Or no, 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 not, Knife Talk. So I kind of gave, I gave a, uh, a plug about it. And I said, I don't even think Sean listens to this podcast. I was just like, I get all these things. These people want us to do all this stuff for him. And they don't even listen. I'll bet he doesn't even listen. He <laughs> sent me a message and he goes, I listen? How could you say that? I listen. A part of me was thinking maybe somebody called him up. But at the same time, he's just such a good dude. and He is. Bill and Bill Banky. I mean, you can't get much cooler than Bill. He's just like, he's, he's such a good very thoughtful guy.
1: of him. He, uh, he messaged me and, you know, the... Obviously, condolences and to invite me personally. So, taking the time to do that, that meant a lot. And it was really nice to get to meet him in person and spend some time with him. It was, it was a lot of fun.
0: So, the guys, Nico and Eric and, and Rocco and, and Chad, man. Well, Chad's
1: from Texas. He's not one of the mission guys. He, I know he that. There. That ain't trust me. I know <laughs> oh, okay. all about it. I hear I know all
0: about Chad. I know Chad for quite a long time. I know all about it. Um, I remember, I remember when, you know, you said that the, when the boys were going to go down and my man, your stage, I think I oh, said, yeah, yeah. I think I yelled, I think I yelled at the listeners to buy everything off your table. I, 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 <laughs> I hope you, you, I hope too. you did. Okay.
1: Yeah. It was, I was just happy to have, uh, some stuff there and you know, I, I didn't know what to do at the time. I, right. I was still in a daze. Of course. So,
0: you can't be expected yeah. to do, you know, to go down and man a table after the, So the unthinkable happens.
1: Yeah. And it was, that was a week before blade, you know, Yeah,
0: um, and
1: those guys, you know, uh, trying to help keep my spirits up and sending me messages and picture messages and uh, video call, you know, making a toast to Bobby and stuff and, um, checking on me since then. And, uh, the community rallying behind myself and my family has been unbelievable.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, you know, the the we're all in this together, you know. And I'm grateful for the maker community, the knife making community, the bladesmithing blacksmithing, I mean, we all. We all talk a little bit of crap, but at the same time it's like when it comes to when the chips are down, you know, we're all in this together. We're all speaking the same language.
1: And, you know, and I've always known that it just um well, that's how we relate. That well, and the above and beyond and just the Brotherhood and love um like uh so obviously Chad from Summit C Smithing and Paxton from fifty fifty Forge uh made a billet for a project you know, and guys taking time out of their day to do stuff like that and um and then uh they shipped the billet to Tyrell from Tyrell Knife Works. you know what and he Tyrell, button. yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, his son's an ET in the Navy. He's, I don't think he's nuclear, but he's, so it kind of hit close to home for him. Yeah. And, uh, he made a, uh, a, a beautiful video, a tribute to Bob. They called Project 22, because as you mentioned, the 22 veterans a day losing their lives. And from what I understand, it's, it's well over that. I'm sure. Um, but he made an amazing video, made two knives and, um just a beautiful tribute to my son
0: well let's talk about that so there's going to be a raffle uh and the raffle goes through august 31st correct um and i have it right here there's two knives there's a k-tip and a santuko santoku yep uh to support you um and bob in regard in for bobby and so some of the steel comes from tower two from 9-11 and that's in the damascus and the pins are forged from the arresting hook cable off the USS Eisenhower, and the handle material is white oak planted. Chad, Kimmel's son. Chad Kimmel wrote that it was planted by George Washington. We don't know if George Washington had the shovel, but it was on the George Washington <laughs> estate. I've been saying, I told you know what's funny thing I'll tell you about when I finish all this. So it's all certified and documented, and the video of the build is going to be up on Dennis Tyrell's YouTube page. Right, and to and so- get. To get involved with the raffle, go to Bob Rankin's website. That's BobRankinCustomKnives.com and get a sticker. And then you're going to be entered in to win one of these things. So go to BobRankinCustomKnives.com. So if every to, sticker
1: you buy gives you a chance to win them.
0: So here's the funny So when Chad, you know, as, I, as you know, I've reached out to you when this happened and I said, anything you need from me, you let me know. And anytime you want to come on and talk about it, I'm frankly, I'm surprised you wanted to come on as soon as you did. And I, and I appreciate it. And I'm, and I, and it's, it's a testament to you and the givingness that you have to tell your story. So other people can kind of like, you know, listen, and maybe this touch. I mean, we get so many messages between this and knife talk of people who are really in the, in a bad way and to hear people and to kind of, you know, think about it. And, and, and it, I'm, I'm grateful to you for your generosity of your, well, and your that's candor.
1: That's something I want some something people to know. Whether um, you're having bad thoughts yourself, you're not alone. There are people out there that love you. Yeah. Um, or something like this has happened to you. You're also not alone. There are other people that you, you're not. That's the thing that people need to know is that there's nothing to be ashamed of. You're not alone. Um, and uh, if I can ever help in any way... I'll do that, you know, and that cuz you, you brought up the um the I just have to get this part out. Yeah, you brought please. up the, the oak from George Washington's uh, plantation, the last one that he planted. That came from um uh, uh Lucas from Grizzly Forge who got it from uh Black Horse Forge out of Virginia, which is um Steve, he's a, uh they work with he's a veteran and it's a veterans organization that uh bring veterans into the making community and, uh, and they have affiliate forges all over the country. Um, and
0: and what's the name of the forges that are the affiliate forges?
1: I, that is a list that you would have to get from him. I, I don't know all of the okay. different forges, but it's something that we can work on getting out to to veterans and their families because uh, they, they've done an amazing job with it. He. Uh, that's actually something that is very interesting to talk to is Steve talking about the success and, um, the, of working with veterans and they've actually worked with the VA and done brain scans about how that making actually helps people with yeah with afterwards. So,
0: because that's um, based on what we were talking oh, sorry for interrupting.
1: No, that's okay. That, that, that's where the oak came from. So, <laughs>
0: Uh, just to let you know on the oak situation, I only I wanted to break Trad's chops
1: a little, Oh, I only hope because,
0: so. Oh, dude, there's <laughs> no one's getting no one rides for free with me. No one rides for for, for me. You either you're either, I mean, either going to pay or I'm going to make you pay another way. So oh, he said to me he, to me, he says to me, he says to me, he's like, I want to do this thing for Bob, but I'm like, of course, anything you want. I said, I have one request. You got to write it out the way you, it's supposed to be. Don't give me, you know, side talk. I don't want make it readable. So, because when we do these things, the people, you know, and everyone and I talk, people ask us questions and they all do these like side conversations. And I don't, we don't want like side notes. We don't want like a hums and ahas and, and, you know, bring it, you know, make it very easy to understand. So I said to him, I said to him, Chad, you're on the hook. If this sucks, I'm going to let you know, but I'm not going to let you know on the podcast. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to give you notes between the two of us. You're on the hook because... You know, if you, if this, you know, you write this thing, that sucks. Like I said, I'm going to let you know on the podcast when I read it. Cause that's far more fun.
1: Oh yeah. And it, it, he'll appreciate that too. And Ow. he, he, he's such a, he's worked his tail off for me. Of
2: course. A, a
1: funny story about Chad. My first time down at Blacho, I went, you know, what, 18 or 19 or something like that. It must've been 18. And, uh, he's the first person to recognize my logo. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I've known Chad a long time. He's a a tremendous friend, and um, he's been amazing, and I, I can't thank him enough.
0: Another another vet. Yes, he's a vet. I Here's met him. Veteran, yep. I met him. And he came down to uh, when I was teaching with uh, Jonathan Porter Dragons with Forge. He came down. He came down, and he brought with him one of Ben Snoor's hammers that he that Ben Snoor's dad engraved, <laughs> and it was crazy because it was like. Are you sure you want to use this? This thing is really nice. And we were just <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know if you, I wouldn't use it because Ben's dad, Ben Snor's dad, is in a, like a master engraver. I don't know. He's going to say he's not a master engraver, but I mean, it's. I mean, he. I mean, it's incredible. So, so yeah. So I've known Chad for quite a while. So, I just, I just said to him. I think I said to him, J-, You know, made it sound like George Washington's there with the shovel. I'm like, I don't think George Washington was there with the shovel. But, you know, and he says, ah, "Don't." You know, what you know, I, you know, I frazzled him a little bit. But other than that, the move is is guys is go to Bob Rankin CustomKnives.com and uh, get yourself some stickers. And then uh, it's go- the raffle goes through August 31st, and it's obviously a very important and worthy cause for a friend um what was so case? so if,
1: if if you want to help in another way also my daughter and i set up a, a GoFundMe, and we picked three charities so far small charities that the money actually goes to help people um and uh i can send you the the link for that
0: you send me the link and I'll have it in the show notes, the top okay. of the show notes for this episode. So guys, if you're listening, you know, anytime th- we talk, I mean, I don't, you know, do a, you know, I don't do like footnotes and stuff like that, but I'll have this, this GoFundMe will be in the show notes, the top of the show notes, um, for, and also a link to the, uh, the raffle ticket will be in the, in the top of the show notes.
1: And so the, the charities we chose cause he had his two cats. Um, so we, we, contacted uh the cat cafe in charleston where he got his two cats that's one of the charities we're going to work with because they help rehome cats to their forever homes and, the, and those girls that's all he had on his social media his pictures with his cats he loved his, yeah. his girls and then uh i mentioned black horse forge earlier and then warriors way out of ohio which is a another veterans knife making organization so
0: there are so many veterans who are in the maker community, especially the knife making community and i think I think it was when bob uh, when Bob it was uh, when Joe Maynard was on the old Josh Smith podcast and he I guess he was telling stories about how they really connect because you know we were talking before whether or not when you're in the military and you have these i mean maybe like Bobby was eighteen when he joined the Navy, right correct yep. So like when you're 18, before you join the Navy, I mean, what real responsibilities do you have besides going to like school and like doing your chores? I, I mean, it's not, I mean, the, the life of a standard 18 year old isn't very like responsibly responsible. Have You don't have like people's lives in your hands. And then to go to be trained in, in something that has real consequences, I would imagine has, has high benefits of like 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 what we're saying. I mean, he had he could have probably had a pick of the litter in regards to the kind of position and job he wanted. But at the same time, it's like your identity is glued. To eight years of this very strict, you know, validation and part of your identity is being validated by this very, very strict uh code of 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 rules and regulations that people's lives are in hanging in the balance, and to lose that and to lose this kind of sense of validation and part of the person that you are is so it it has to be well, just an you, enormous
1: I think you lose your community too probably right? the people right and left of you that you've learned to lean on and lean on you every day I can't imagine um what that's like you know to all of a sudden be
0: it's ripped away yeah. But that that's one of the reasons why the maker community is so amazing. I'm not just the maker community, but actually making things with your hands, as you know. Right. Um, you actually you see, you have a physical, you know, evidence of what you kind of put your mind to, and you're expressing yourself and you know, your techniques and stuff like that, and you're you have the physical end result of your determination and your technique and stuff like that. So you end up getting this part of your you're part of this personality, you know, part of who you are too.
1: I, I definitely think that it helps. I, I know that since I started making things like this, that uh, it's helped make me a better person. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you're bored at your job or, you know, it's, you're not challenged in life, I think that people find themselves in darker places. Yeah. So I think that by challenging yourself, and, uh, pushing out of your comfort zone and something like this is a lifelong learning. I, I, we, nobody could ever learn everything there is about knife making
0: or any, or anything really right. cabin, for, ca- you know, carving spoons, the pottery to, right. you know, the, the best part is you have the, something that can last, you know, you can last forever. I mean, Steve Schwarzers, Steve Schwarzer right now, he's however old, old he is. He's at a, he's taking a class, scissor making class down with, uh, Jason knightens and, uh, doing making learning how to make scissors i mean he's he's found something i mean i i remember the last metal shop i was in before i kind of struck out on my own after you know whatever i remember we were doing railings for like elevators and like we were doing satin finish stainless steel railings we would have little jigs onto hydraulic presses so we could make the bends and it was all tubing and we had to like run it through a stroke sander and make the satin finish and there were weeks where i would be you know on this stroke sander putting satin finish on stainless steel panels or or railings or whatever like that and i you weren't we weren't allowed to use headphones we weren't allowed to have music because it was such a dangerous piece of equipment that you know one slight move and you know you we talk about two by 72 belts imagine a belt that's like 40 feet long and six feet wide you right. know it's like a whole di- not 40, 40 feet isn't even correct it's 100 feet long I mean this thing is I mean it's like each belt is like 200 dollars. I mean it's like ridiculous and my boss would come in after he'd come in and check on me every so often and he said how are you doing and I'm like okay why he said like, because you're not allowed to listen to music you're doing your job and you're with your own thoughts. And I said, I've been on this machine for days on end. And you start to think about things. You start to gonna kind of go into places that you wouldn't normally go into. And he, and he was right. I was contemplating, you know, situations that had happened in my life. I was contemplating, you know, you have much to do. I mean, if you got to figure out how to do this, you know, the satin finish, you're not concentrating every line, you know, you're thinking about, you know, things that happen in your life. And it was like, he warned me. He says, you sit on this machine for long enough and you start to kind of like, you can go down a bad road. And it was like, I didn't have anyone to, no one, he kind of warned me beforehand. Right. And I was thinking about like things that happened to me as a kid or, you know, traumatic events and why these things happen and stuff like that. And it was like these real moments, but he was very aware that like, you gotta be on guard because your your subconscious isn't always your friend. I mean there's these there's these moments of like, you know, treachery from your self conscious and the motivation, your unconscious motivation, it's it's impossible to pinpoint. I just
1: yeah. go ahead. It's strange how stuff like that that it almost puts you into a trance, you know, where you you just aren't I don't I don't understand how all that works, but yeah, I I know what you mean. It's kinda you when you have too much time in your own head. Right. It can be tough. Well, you know, I
0: have to say this. I am not a therapist. I am not, I don't have, I mean, frankly, the only science class I took in college was a female sexuality class. So, because I didn't know what the hell was going on anyway. And I don't even think it helped me, frankly. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the most important thing is, is being able to listen and to hear and to just... Speak normally and not be afraid, and and to know that you know there are people out there for you, and and people care, and and you you have every right to feel the way you feel, and you're not alone, and you know you are. One thing my wife used to tell me is you're not allowed to tell me how I feel. That's not you can't tell me how I feel. I feel the way I feel, and you know if you're hurt, if you're if you're not feeling your best, and you need someone to talk to, there are people out there. And they're not just your friends and your family. Um, once again, I, I got to I gotta say this. That in, if you're in the United States, dial 988. And it's basically, you know, suicide crisis, but it's also free counseling. And they can help you, especially if you're a veteran. If you're a veteran and you need to speak to someone, they can kind of get you in touch with somebody and you're going to speak to somebody. It's a national uh, organization organization. Uh, and they're not going to, like they said, they're not going to call the cops. No one's going to show up with a butterfly net and straight jackets. You're going to be able to have a real live person talk to you. I hope. I'm saying it, but I mean, you know, I haven't called it myself. So I'm hoping you can find some help. But, you know, there are people out there for you. And um, uh, you're important. You're important.
1: You're important. Find your people. Find your tribe. Find your people. Find you your know. people. And that's another story of how amazing this community has been. Ed from Edward Knives. Did you see this And Brian Brown?
0: I, I know Ed. Ed's awesome. He's down in Florida. What yeah. You, tell me what he did.
1: So he went to um, Brian's shop and they built a folder. Um, They got some s- steel of mine from Rocco. And uh, then they did uh, like an auction or whatever for me on Ed's Facebook page. Uh, he I had no makes idea.
0: beautiful folders, too. Yeah,
1: the, the, the two of them are unbelievable, right? So that was a complete surprise, and I was—I I, I still don't even know what to say. That was very generous for them to take the time to do that, and well, um, I'm we know so you. grateful.
0: We know you. We're, we're friends. I mean, we've never actually physically met, I don't think, unless we met at Blade Show one year.
1: I think you and I did, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. I guess I'm I'm, I'm forgettable.
0: No, hey, listen, don't. You can't do to me what, you know, we know that little bastard Will Stelter did to me. He said the first time I met him, I snubbed him. He said I snubbed him. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm, um, you know, look, I apologize. (laughs) You know, I I am, you know, I am, I'm human garbage. It's fine. Um, But, uh, it is. It is. It is amazing this this how this community has come for you. And I, I before we were t- before we started recording, you said you're you're actually in the process of moving.
1: Yeah, we're um gonna get a house out on some property and work on getting a, a new shop set up, and then hopefully I can be even more involved in the community because they've already done hammer-ins here. But hopefully we can grow that a little bit and get some more people involved. Awesome. Well,
0: Bob, is there anything else you want to? say or talk about or?
1: I, I just want to say thank you to everyone. Um, everyone that's helped. Everyone that's reached out. Um, it's truly appreciated and it has touched me to my core I, and I'm so grateful for everyone. Um, my family's grateful and uh, my, my biggest regret in life is not being able to get Bobby into this community and um, we just didn't have that time.
0: Well, if it means anything, hopefully just hearing your story and the story of Bobby and trying to flesh out the guy he was and your relationship, if it helps one person, then Bobby's not, it's not in vain. You know, Bobby's been able to help someone. So, you know, I think that there's something to be said about that.
1: And that's kind of how we felt right out at the very beginning. We weren't going to hide from it. Um, We were just going to try to help anybody that we can. Are you still? Are you still
0: in the making and selling of Damascus?
1: Uh, not at the moment, down? okay. But I, I'm going to be. Yes, I'm. I, as soon as I get my shop set up, back up, and uh, we get settled in, I'm going to get back to work, and I'll be back at it.
0: Well, you let me know because I want to be the first on the list. Because you know, I'm. <laughs> I'm holding back. I, I don't get Damascus from anybody. So, but just so you. you. Got it. All right. Well I'm am i am a I'm a don't rush. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hey Bob, how's that shop coming? I won't do it to you, I won't give it to you. I you know me, man. I'm with you hundred um, percent. I'm definitely
1: ready to get back into uh making things again. You know, it's I believe it. You know, just uh trying to get a household and stuff right now, so it's just not in the cards right now. Right,
0: right, right. Well I appreciate the fact that you're so you know, you're being as positive as you can and kind of going through it and doing new things and being involved. I know you went with uh, the guys to uh, Sean's thing. And, you know, I hope to see you at BitBlade show next year. Um, I and, had my table uh, already. So I'm, oh, I'm, you already got the table. Good. They didn't yeah. give you, they gave you the – very good.
1: Yeah, I, I, I wanted to keep my spot. Um, so when the contracts came out, I, I snagged that right away. And uh, I'm hoping to um, – Make it down to coal for their hammering. Are you far from that? Oh, Indiana, about four and a half hours. So. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's good. That's a great event. They, they're great guys, great people. So um, I am going to be talking to them next week. I think uh, we're going to do their podcast. So
0: okay, All right. well, uh, listen, Bob. And that's I,
1: that's a, that's the other thing too. I forgot to say that if anybody wants to uh, has an audience that thinks I might be able to help someone, uh, get a hold of me. and I'll I'll share with anybody that I that I can.
0: Well, I appreciate you, Bob. Um like I said, we've been friends for a long time and and um we wish you when I say we, I mean, I'm speaking for me and my family and you know, Craig and marek and all them that we wish you nothing but the best and your family and sending out our deepest condolences and um you know, you're the man. So, guys, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go follow uh bob on instagram that's bob underscore rankin underscore custom underscore knives i want you to go to his website bob get a couple stickers to get involved with that raffle the raffle is going on through the 31st buy yourself a couple of tickets the tickets are going to be worth it um and um i want to th- i also want to thank I want to thank my sponsors. I didn't do the sponsor in the beginning just because it was like, I just didn't feel like it. Uh, guys, I'm going to to my sponsors. I'll get you next week. So many thanks. This show wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for Broadback Ironworks, Even Heat, Nordic Edge, Maritime Knife Supply, Trojan Horse Forge, Baker Forge and Tool, Total Boat, jill Hansen & Sons, Tormek, and Craig Lockwood Behind the Glass. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, guys, go to BobRankinCustomKnives.com. Get yourself a couple stickers. And last but not least, help is not available. Help is available. I don't want to say help is not available. That would have have been terrible. You're on your own, ladies and germs. Help is available. The suicide and crisis, crisis lifeline is dial 988 if you're in the United States. If you're not in the United States... I'm sure there's something else. <laughs> there's something else for you, but there are people out there who care about you. And 988, if you're in the United States, it's not geolocations. They're not going to send a guy with a butterfly net and a straitjacket. You'll be able to speak to free um, counselors, trained professionals who are there to help you or to be there for you. Before you're in crisis, you don't have to be, you don't have to be in crisis. You need to speak to someone that can get you in the right direction too. So 988. And, um, Once again, Bob, I'm sending you nothing but love and peace and respect for you and your family.
1: Thank you so very much.
0: All right, guys. We're going to see you next week. Uh, Bob, thanks again. Uh, We're thinking about you. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers.